What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode of Locked On Bills is brought to you by Built Bar. The orange chocolate was my flavor this morning after my Echelon ride, and I'm telling you, it felt like I was eating a Tootsie Pop. Absolutely delicious. Remember, promo code Locked On gets you ten bucks off your first order at BuiltBar.com, and shipping is always free. All right, so today I'm going to finish up Twitter Tuesday, uh, and I really like how this is going to stack up. The first segment will be kind of some discussion on Trent Murphy and wide receivers, and then the next segment will be all about uh, Jake Fromm. A lot of good questions, a lot of really well-articulated thoughts about Jake Fromm and, and kind of countering some of the opinions that I've had on that situation, so I'm anxious to get to that here in segment two. Segment three, we're going to talk to Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers uh, to look at the Bills' upcoming opponent. Uh, the Bills face the defending NFC champions next year. So that'll be a, an exciting conversation to get into uh, with Brian. And, of course, the schedule comes out uh, Thursday at 8 o'clock. So after that schedule is released, I'll do a podcast and get you something to listen to, reacting to my thoughts on the schedule, and you'll have that for the Friday show. So that's how the rest of this week looks. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, and don't miss anything. And then, of course, we'll have a fresh slate of pods for you next week. Uh, and uh, looking forward to it. I've got a ton of segments written down, a lot of fun ideas uh, in the works. So don't miss anything. All right, let's finish up Twitter Tuesday here on this Thursday. The first one here today comes from uh, John. And Jason had one very similar to this. For Trent Murphy, when is the next significant contract date that we would want to cut him before? If that is the route we go, what would those cap savings look like? And if you were Brandon Bean, how might you spend that money on the current open market to better help this Bills roster? So Trent Murphy, he's in the final year of his deal. It expires after this year. And the Bills can cut him at any point and save $8.025 million. So $8,025,000 could be saved uh, if they were to cut him, they'll they'll have 1.75 in dead cap. His total cap hit is 9.775, so that's why you get the $8 million savings there. Uh, they, they already paid him a workout bonus uh, this year, so I, I'm a little bit nervous that they did that in terms of him not being... Uh, cut or, or moved, but you know they can still save that eight million. And then, of course, if you don't spend that at all, you can roll that over into 2021, like we talked about. That would give the Bills 28 million dollars in available cap space right now. So they could go out, they could sign a, another player. Uh, for me, you know what I'm going to tell you: give me a cornerback, even if it's Logan Ryan. You get better at the slot, but uh, I like Prince of Mukamara, who's available. I wouldn't mind some depth at linebacker if they could find somebody there, but I, I don't get overly nervous about anything too much on the roster. And, you know, uh, it's one of those deals where you have to weigh um, the the available players right now versus, you know, the opportunity to roll some of that cap space over and really start looking towards resigning some of your own players. Maybe that's exactly what I do. I'd start talking to, uh, to Deion Dawkins and see if maybe we can get a little bit of his, his, his uh, extension factored into this year. And, uh, and maybe ease some of the burden down the, the line. So uh, they would have more flexibility, but that's the deal. They would save $8 million at any point moving forward that they were to remove Trent Murphy from this roster. Uh, Jason, or excuse me, John had a, a good follow-up question, but I'm actually going to save that for a segment uh, probably early next week. So you'll, you'll hear my answer to that later on, uh, John. And as well as Corey, who's coming up next year, had a very similar 
uh, follow-up question that I'm going to save for a segment. But Corey did have one here. It says, with respect to the wide receiver competition, considering how heavily Duke Williams was targeted in the playoff game and the addition of Stefan Diggs, do you feel like the Isaiah McKenzie gadget type role will still be a priority for Dable's offense? Or does the selection of Isaiah Hodgins maybe spell the end of the gadget role in the Bills offense? So uh, I, I talked about this yesterday a bit, but I think that role is really important for this offense. Obviously, there's creative things that you can do with it by handing him the ball in a jet sweep, uh, by uh, the shuffle passes, by getting those quick uh, rollout passes to him. But what it also does is when you have two slower running backs and Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, it still gives that defense something to respect in terms of the outside run. And it, and it helps hold linebackers in place as you set up your inside run or potentially run outside the opposite direction of the motion. So there's a lot that you can build off of it. If the Bills had a faster running back, uh, I, I could see that being phased out, but I do think Isaiah McKenzie's role is really important. Now, we can debate whether Isaiah McKenzie's the man for the job because ideally he could return as well, but McKenzie not a good enough ball handler to be trusted fielding punts and returning kicks. So uh, we talked about it yesterday. Andre Roberts, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to be a candidate for that role. Robert Foster could do the Isaiah McKenzie thing, but I don't know that he gives you the return ability as well. So they kind of have the wrong pieces to get an all-in-one package player there, but I think that type of role is really important for a Bills offense that doesn't have much speed at running back and as well as for the creative elements that you can you can do off of that motion. Um, also Corey said, assuming, uh, Tyler Bass beats out Hauschka for the job. Do you feel like having a new kicker with a big leg might make McDermott more conservative in fourth down situations when on the plus side of the field? I hope not. I like that. The guy went for the, for it a lot of times. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I worry, I worry that you're right on this. I hope, I hope not. Uh, but I do worry. I mean, at the end of the day, even if Tyler Bass is is a great kicker, you know, 50-plus yard field goals are our lower percentage kicks. So I, I take my chances uh, with my really good defense that's going to exist in Buffalo and for the opportunity to score touchdowns. But I think you bring up a good point there, Corey, and let's uh, let's hope that doesn't wind up being the case. Uh, Frazier says, Hi, Joe. Had a thought that Christian Wade would be worthy to keep for special teams. He showed he can really run the football. I'm from England and know rugby fairly well. He will definitely have a special teams impact returning punts and kickoffs. He showed that against the Colts and Panthers. Your thoughts? This also means there will be more room for players like Isaiah Hodgins in the wide receiver position. So I do think you, you make a good point there because as I discussed with the Isaiah McKenzie role, uh, it, it somewhat reduces your chances of keeping Isaiah Hodgins because as we've talked about, I think you have five locks at receiver. Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Roberts, Gabriel Davis. If you have to have the McKinsey role, that's six. All right, now you have Isaiah Hodgins, your draft pick, Duke Williams from last year, uh, Robert Foster, Ray Ray McLeod, all, re- all competing for a seventh wide receiver spot, assuming you keep seven wide receivers. Well, if you could get a, a player that, that can fill more roles for you, you don't have to have the returner and the Isaiah McKinsey specialist. It helps you uh, to keep a guy like Christian Wade. Now, when you do think about Christian Wade, the the special teams component is encapsulated with Taiwan Jones, a veteran in the league, a high character guy that I think has a good chance of making the roster for that role. And so, if you were to keep Wade, you're you're saying no, we're not going to keep Taiwan Jones. So I think that's that's the big block in the way of of Wade making the roster. Outside of obviously showing that he's learned the game well enough to be a rosterable NFL player. Do keep in mind, though, the Bills have the same luxury of keeping Wade on the practice squad this year and uh, and not having it count 
towards the 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 practice squad total, and they can have more players uh, in the building. So that's going to work against Christian Wade uh, when it comes to his course to being on the active roster. But obviously, we're all rooting for him, and and he certainly made some fun plays in the preseason last year. And if he keeps doing that, he's going to make it tough on Sean McDermott and, and Brandon Bean to settle on which running backs they're going to keep. Uh, this one's fun from Edgar, who says, "Hi, Joe, big fan of the show from Mexico." Uh, of course, thank you for uh, letting me know you're part of our our global audience. I always love hearing about our uh, our listeners that are not just in the continental United States. Uh, he says, "Can you tell me what's the ceiling slash floor for each draft pick?" I certainly can, Edgar. This is in my mind. I actually went through before uh, the show, and I went through and I came up with players, player comparisons for your highs and lows here. So I hope you guys. Uh, enjoy the effort I put into here and, and hopefully this resonates and hope you don't get mad about what I say here. All right. So for AJ Epinesa as the floor, I picked Ryan Denny, former bills player. You guys should know him. And for the ceiling, Trey flowers. Uh, so there's my, my peaks and valleys there with AJ Epinesa for Zach Moss, Isaiah Cronell, Isaiah Crowell as the floor, Travis Henry as the ceiling. You'll see, I tried to incorporate a lot of bills players here in my high lows. For Gabriel Davis, Brian Quick, uh, former second-round pick, if I'm not mistaken, for the Rams out of Appalachian State. For the ceiling, I picked Devontae Parker, and I mean last year's Devontae Parker for the Dolphins, where you saw the size and, and the catch radius and the ability to go up and get the football as well as the vertical component. So I think that would be a really exciting ceiling if the Bills were able to get you know, 2019 Devontae Parker out of Gabe Davis. For Jake Fromm, I put his floor as Matt Barkley, and I put his ceiling as Case Keenum. For Tyler Bass, I don't have kickers to offer here. Uh, I put for this floor a, a bad kicker, for his ceiling a good kicker. I will say this. I've talked about the trajectory of his kicks and how he gets it up high. You know who else gets it up high? Justin Tucker, who's like the the most elite kicker in the league. I've heard it said that, J, that Justin, kick, Justin Tucker at kicker in terms of that position and, and how well he is in terms of being the best at it, he's the best football player at the top of their position in in the league. Uh, does that make sense? Like he's the best kicker amongst kickers than uh you know uh Patrick Mahomes is of quarterbacks. I've heard that said. But uh I, I was thinking about watching uh, thinking about some of the playoff kicks that I saw him make uh, and I was I was reminded of how high he kicks the ball as well and maybe that'll bode well for for Tyler Bass. For Isaiah Hodgins, this was my toughest one, honestly. So I don't I don't love this much this one as much as I do my previous ones. For my floor, I put a slower James Hardy. Uh, James Hardy, former Bills pick out of Indiana. A ton of size, good college production, really athletic, but he couldn't beat press coverage, and that was the Achilles heel for James Hardy. Um, And obviously, Hodgins doesn't have near the athletic profile of Hardy, so it's not perfect, but that's what I came up for the low end. For the high end, I picked David Nelson. You guys know him, former Bills wide receiver that uh, had some success under Chan Gailey in in that offense. Uh, for Dane Jackson, I picked uh, for the floor or the uh, the bottom the, is uh, Damian Swan, who was a corner that didn't find much success out of Georgia, but physical uh, type player like like Jackson. And then for the ceiling, McKenzie Alexander, which I, I like that one a ton. Be nice if the Bills got McKenzie Alexander in the seventh round this year. So there you have it, my my ceiling and floor for each Bills draft pick. That was a fun question, Edgar. Thanks for. Uh, shooting that over. And thanks for uh, listening to the podcast all the way from Mexico. All right, guys, got to tell you some more about Built Bar. Like I said in the open, this uh, this um, this deal they have is 10 bucks off your first order at BuiltBar.com uh, using our promo code LOCKEDON. And shipping is always free. I actually just ordered my second box. 
Uh, my wife and I ripped through that first one, and it was time to get box two, and that is on the way. We chose to do the uh, the assortment of flavors. We got to pick the flavors we wanted included in the box, and so I've got the raspberry chocolate coming. I've got the caramel peanut coming, and uh, she loved the, uh, the coconut almond, so that was her special pick for our variety pack box that's on the way. But honestly, I look forward to working out because I know at the end of it, I'm going to get an es- uh, uh, a built bar after I get off the echelon bike. So uh, I hope that you guys enjoy these things as much as I'm, uh, I am and, and certainly take advantage of that deal. These things are really good for you. They're made with a, with real chocolate, the flavors, they've got all kinds of flavors and um, they, they just taste so good. Like I, I keep saying is it's not like you're chewing on leather. Like most protein bars, these things are delicious. They have great texture. There's no gritty aftertaste. You don't feel like you have to wash your mouth out with water after eating these things because they taste so good. You'll look forward to working out because at, at the end, you, you're going to get yourself a built bar again. Uh, just the, the, the nutrition on these things is unbelievable. Amazing combination of low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and um, just they taste terrific. Again, builtbar.com. Promo code locked on gets you 10 bucks off your first order at builtbar.com. All right, now it's time for that Jake Fromm kind of segment here where I got a lot of good counterpoints to some of the points I've been making about Jake Fromm and, and want to respond to them and, and uh, read these through for you. There's three really good ones here. So let's start with Rob. Rob says, You've been talking about your concern for the backup quarterback role. And I think that is a concern, but I think that is a concern with every team in the league. There's many teams looking for their starting quarterback, let alone a backup. If you are going to go deep in the season, you need your starting quarterback healthy. And I think you have to just have the outlook that we will, we have put all of our chips in Josh's basket. I think you're putting too much emphasis on that being critical to the roster. If the Bills had the best backup quarterback in the league, I don't think it would be a big impact. Um, I appreciate your, your comments there, Rob. I want to respond by, uh, referencing an article that I wrote, uh, this week on May 4th for the DraftNetwork.com, And it was called who has the best quarterback room in football. And, and I'd actually just kind of want to read to you the introduction to this article and talk a little bit about some of the backup quarterback situations in the league and where I would disagree with the points you made there, Rob. So I opened up with a quote from Tom Moore, the longtime um, uh, offensive coordinator for the Colts when Peyton Manning was there. And and he said, uh, when commenting on why Peyton's backups don't get more reps in practice, Tom Moore famously said this. He said, fellas, if 18 goes down, we are beep and we don't practice beep. He wasn't wrong. After winning at least 10 games in every season from 2002 to 2010 with Manning at quarterback, the Colts finished 2-14 and 14 in 2011 when Manning missed the entire season due to injury. A season doesn't have to be lost when a starting quarterback goes down, and recent history supports that. The obvious example is when Nick Foles replaced an injured Carson Wentz in 2017 and led the Eagles to a Super Bowl championship. Last season, Teddy Bridgewater quarterbacked the Saints to a 5-0 record while Drew Brees missed time. The Vikings in 2017, their season wasn't flushed down the drain when Sam Bradford suffered an injury in Week 2. Minnesota went 13-3 and won the NFC North and advanced to the NFC Championship game with Case Keenum as their backup quarterback. While every team approaches it differently, having a reliable backup quarterback is valuable in the NFL. Given the importance of the quarterback position and its impact on winning and losing games, it's often disappointing to glance at depth charts and find teams built to win that are one snap away from a lost season because they didn't prioritize quarterback depth well enough. And look, there's some good quarterback rooms in the NFL. The Saints, they've got Drew Brees and Jameis Winston. The Cowboys, 
Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton. They're the Indianapolis Colts, Phillip Rivers, and Jacoby Brissett. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and Robert Griffin III. The, the Browns, they've got Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. Even the, the Raiders with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. There are teams that are, are showing that you can have a good backup quarterback. Your season doesn't have to be lost. I don't think any one of those teams, the season's flushed down the toilet because they went out and had a good backup quarterback. And, um, you know, we've seen starters go down. I mean, even we've seen backup quarterbacks start playoff games. I just want to give myself a chance. And, um, you know, I'm not crazy optimistic about Matt Barkley as the backup. Obviously I've talked about my concerns there, but Jake Fromm was certainly not the upgrade that I was looking for, especially in this environment. And, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of that reasoning as I get through these, uh, next few, uh, responses, but, I do think there is a lot of value in backup quarterback, and there's there's been a lot of examples. Those are just off the top of my head recently of how teams were able to to stay well above water when their starters went down. And we're talking Carson Wentz, Drew Brees, and and uh, uh, well Sam Bradford, who they traded a first round pick for that year, uh, and they lost Teddy Bridgewater. They were able to keep their season afloat because they kept investing in quarterback depth. Uh, John says, "I've heard you say you don't think Fromm will make the roster." A counterpoint, I believe the value in Fromm is not whether he can ever be a number one guy, but whether he can be an average backup while playing on a fifth-round rookie contract. He seems to have an appropriate skill set for a backup with good intangibles. If he can be average, uh, average backup quarterback and allow us to cut Barkley and reallocate that roster somewhere else on the roster through 2023, I think that's an A-plus fifth-round pick. I would say the extra value is worth carrying three quarterbacks for one year if needed. For reference, can you provide what Fromm's cap hit would be for the next several years versus what the average cap hit for a backup quarterback in the league last year? Shouldn't we be rooting for Fromm to be our backup quarterback with the savings he can allow us to push to other areas on the roster? With Wouldn't that lend itself to keeping our big names like Dawkins and Milano? If the, Is the problem that you think Fromm is capable of being a backup quarterback, or do we just view the cap savings differently? John, you make a lot of great points. And, and one of my points that I've never made is that I – is that I? It's not that I don't think Jake Fromm is a rosterable NFL quarterback. I think he has a really nice ceiling as a backup quarterback. That's that's something we can all agree on. My concern here's where it comes back to. This is my concern with it. It's not necessarily Jake Fromm, so much as it is I don't think the Bills are going to keep three quarterbacks, and they never have. The only time they had three quarterbacks on the roster is when Josh Allen and Derek Anderson were banged up during that stretch in Josh's rookie season. They went into 2017 with Taylor and Peterman. They went into 2018 with Peterman and Allen. They went into last year with um, Barkley and, and Allen. They've maintained three quarterbacks never except for when Josh and Derek Anderson were battling injuries. I don't think that they prefer to keep three quarterbacks. Now, if you tell me we keep three quarterbacks, then okay, there's your path to the roster for Jake Fromm. My concern is that I don't think he beats out Matt Barkley. And I think they like Matt Barkley. And so that's my concern with the draft pick is that unless you're really going to change what you've done for the last three years and keep three quarterbacks, then you didn't get any value out of this pick. Now, if you keep three quarterbacks and Jake Fromm is your backup on a very low contract for the next three years after Matt Barkley's off the roster this year, then you've done a great thing. And I can get behind that in a big way. But my concern in terms of the roster ability of Jake Fromm is that the Bills have not shown that they prefer to keep three quarterbacks. So that'll be a fundamental difference. And the implications of keeping three quarterbacks 
it's going to strap you in other places. Now, the 55-man rosters will certainly help, and maybe that's some foresight that the Bills had into their appetite for keeping three quarterbacks. But the point that I've been making is if the Bills keep two quarterbacks, I don't think that they're Allen and and Fromm. I I don't Uh, because I know what Barkley means to Allen uh, in preparation. I know what Barkley means to Allen on the sideline during games. And why would you take a situation where you hope Fromm is as good as Barkley as a rookie and live on a prayer if Josh Allen goes down? Jake Fromm, absolutely. I bet you Jake Fromm is in the NFL for almost 10 years. I believe that. He's not going to flame out. He's for this environment, though. That's my question. If Brandon Bean's willing to keep three quarterbacks, then they've done a very good thing here. My concern is that that's just not the case. And so his course to the roster is very challenging. And, and, and look, we're, we're splitting hairs over, at the end of the day, a fifth round pick. Paul, this one was well thought out as well. Paul said, watching the draft on day three, I was anticipating the Bills taking a quarterback. As I watched Eason and Morgan come off the board in round four, I relaxed my anticipation, figuring that even if Bean was interested in any of the other prospects, it wouldn't be until round six or seven, if at all. Due to my superficial knowledge of his playing style, as well as personality or character, Jake Fromm was not at all on my radar for the Bills, but as usual, I knew nothing. Since the pick has been made, I've been listening to opinions by those inside and outside Georgia football. Some outsiders questioning the pick, citing his arm strength and physical tools or lack thereof as the reason he may not be rosterable. Insiders seem to agree that his tools, while they may not be special, are enough for the NFL. What seems to be universally acknowledged by those who have spent real time with him are his intangibles, intangibles that they perceive to be elite levels, intelligence, competitiveness, uh, football acumen, charisma, work ethic, team-first mentality. They are convinced that he can excel at coaching at the highest level when his playing career is over if he chooses. I can't help but think Fromm can be for Josh Allen what Frank Reich was for Jim Kelly. I know you have the belief that usually you don't draft quarterbacks to be backups, but if this was the ceiling predicted when he was drafted, wouldn't you agree that this would be an absolute home run pick if that ceiling is reached? Also, can you see Fromm eventually having the kind of impact on the roster Frank Reich had given those intangibles? Thanks for all you do. You truly give me and the rest of the football fan community snippets of normalcy every single day with the work you do on Locked On Bills, Draft Dudes, and your appearances all over the internet, social media, and radio. All the best to you and yours. Really appreciate this one, Paul. I think you went through this and came up with some some very good points. And um, I think you talked about, uh, well, you well articulated the ceiling of, of, of Jake Fromm and what he can mean uh, for the football team. And, and so as long as you're willing to keep three quarterbacks, um, I think you've got something there. But does it, the, the, where I get hung up is, all right, you go into this thing with Allen and Fromm. Is Fromm going to be day one? What you talk about there, or what you know, what you kind of extrapolated from listening to different people talk about Fromm? You know, is that something you can expect on day one from a player like Jake Fromm in in in, in an off season where you know it's not going to be a normal situation in terms of the ability to learn the playbook and 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 get to know the players and uh, get to know the system and and let's keep in mind with Frank Reich. You know, like he 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 was exactly the the perfect backup quarterback. He kept the season afloat many a times. He won playoff games for the Bills. 
So yeah, that's that's that goes back to the value of having a good backup quarterback. And that's what that's what I want in the backup quarterback. I just don't know if Jake Fromm is a rookie, a fifth round rookie, is going to make me sleep better at night if Josh Allen goes down. Matt Barkley's not going to make me sleep better at night, but at least I know that he knows the system and he's got experience in the league. You, you go through the bumps and, and, and the growing pains of, of a rookie having to take the reins because you stripped yourself of Matt Barkley, you know, I, that makes me nervous. Matt Barkley already has that mental ceiling that we're talking about with a Jake Fromm. I think he's everything. I think Matt Barkley is everything we just discussed with Jake Fromm in terms of the intangibles component, except for the fact that I don't think he's that good of a player. Now, maybe Jake Fromm could be a reasonable player with that, but in year one, I think that's a tough sell. So maybe I'm hung up on this too much. Um, again, we're, we're, we are we are really getting at it after a fifth-round pick here. And, and um, every pick matters, and, and the opportunity for him to be the long-term backup and fill this role I think presents a ton of value. But is Brandon Bean going to keep three quarterbacks? And if he only keeps two, is he really going to put himself in a situation where you are one snap away from Jake Fromm having the keys to this really talented football team as a fifth-round rookie without the normal install period and reps to get ready for a season? Those dynamics, all of that put together is where my doubt comes in to the picture. But make no mistake about it, folks. I am rooting for Jake Fromm. I hope that the Bills do Jimmy Garoppolo things with Jake Fromm. And they have their starter in Josh Allen, and Jake Fromm continues to show out in uh, preseason and, and in situations where he gets to play because the Bills are way ahead and flashes and he can the Bills can flip him for a draft pick and, and all those types of things. I, I want the best for Jake Fromm. So don't ever think that I'm so married to my opinions that uh, I, I don't want what's best for the player and the team. You know, I just want to make sure that I have a stance on these things. And I put all these things together and I say, all right, well, all of this evidence indicates that they're not going to keep three quarterbacks. So is that going to be the change? Is that going to be what's different this year? Maybe so. And, you know, injuries play into everything. That changes the dynamics. But I just feel like this team is comfortable with Matt Barkley. Um, and uh, in order for Barkley to make – or Fromm to make the roster, it's going to be – as a QB three, and if that's the case, I hope I hope that um, you know I hope that works out well, and that w- there's the, certainly the dynamics of the expanded roster allows that to be more of a uh, a reasonable idea. So really appreciate all the great uh, Jake Fromm uh, counterpoints today and discussion and and uh, good challenges of the thought process and just bringing it all on the table so that way we can flesh this thing out and and have a good uh, foundational understanding of where everyone's at and what the implications are heading into the season. And, you know, we'll all look back on this and and, and see what happens. But uh, obviously rooting for the best here with the Bills, Jake Fromm, and and for them to maximize the output of that draft pick investment. Start the competition today with people important in your mom's life. Mother's Day is her Super Bowl, so celebrate this Mother's Day by scoring her favorite gift of the day. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to exotic India, sample the food, and laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book called The Henna Artist. By the way, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick for May. Then anytime in May, post a picture of you or your mom holding the ebook or book on Instagram or Facebook and tag the author at the Alka Yoshi. A donation of four meals per post, up to 10,000 meals, will go directly to Feeding America. So buy the tennis, buy the henna artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Target, and make mom the ultimate winner in your family 
this Mother's Day. Coming up next is my conversation with Brian Peacock from Locked On 49ers. Joe Marino of Locked On Bills joined by Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers to, to get a look at to things that are happening with this 49ers team, obviously a Bills opponent in 2020, and we'll find out exactly when that game will be later tonight when the schedule is released at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but uh, for now, we'll, we'll speculate on that and, and get a, get some clues as to what's happening with this 49ers team. Obviously, Brian, coming off of the Super Bowl appearance, and the NFL is not always kind to teams coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of a, a hangover, and just kind of curious with your take on where you think the 49ers fall into that. Are they ready to uh, to get right back into things, or do you see there being maybe some lag? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if this whole quarantine thing helps or hurts the 49ers, and I'm leaning toward it maybe helping the team. And there are some big losses that they've had to replace, and they replaced DeForest Buckner and Emmanuel Sanders, obviously, in the first round of the draft. And then you can't replace Joe Staley with a better player than Trent Williams bringing him in. So talent-wise, they did a pretty good job this offseason of replacing the big losses, but they still have a lot of foundational pieces on the roster. And I think another year of Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, last year was his first year, obviously starting 16 games in the NFL and he was coming off an ACL. So you should see another tick up for him, which will raise all ships on that 49ers offense. If he starts to play a little bit better now that he's had more reps and he'll have his second full season, knock on wood in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So that should all help. And, and it really hinders some other teams that might be up and comers from jumping up and, and taking that crown away from the 49ers potentially, you know, a team like maybe an upstart Arizona Cardinals team in the NFC West, or there's some other teams out there that have some really good drafts and have some good young talent that might be knocking on the door. It might be more difficult for those teams to get their footing and knock the 49ers off. So I think the, the current, the current, you know, I don't even know what you want to call what's going on right now because they're having meetings, but they're not on the field. And there was an interview with Travis Benjamin, who was a new wide receiver brought in for the 49ers. And he's worked with Kyle Shanahan in the past, but he said, yeah, I don't know, maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll try to get together with the receivers and, and a quarterback and we'll set things up and maybe try to get some timing down. So the, the timing will be an issue and players are already behind and, and some big time rookies. It might take them a little while to get going even more so than normally rookies do in the NFL. So I think that'll hinder some teams that aren't quite as complete as the 49ers. So I think it probably helps good teams. Obviously the 49ers Super Bowl uh, team, they won the NFC. They were 13 and three, and they did this all with Jimmy Garoppolo as the quarterback. And it seems like there's some wide ranging viewpoints on Jimmy G and what he is and what his ceiling is and how important he is to this 49ers team. Brian, I'd like for you to clear that up for our listeners here. What's the truth about Jimmy G? Yeah, and I think when it comes to quarterback and maybe a lot of positions in the NFL and people don't really want to give uh, the credit for how smart a player can be and should be and how from the neck up matters so much in the NFL, even non-quarterback positions. So I think the ceiling for Jimmy Garoppolo is in his head. And I think that's why it's important because he's not had that full season of reps yet with Kyle Shanahan until last year. And that was coming off an ACL. So even the off season wasn't the complete off season he would want to have. And maybe even this year is not now either. So uh, I think reps is the key for Jimmy Garoppolo to be better in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And he's already really good in, in some of the most important stats. And look, it's not the Kansas city chiefs offense. He's not slinging it all over the place, but 
third down stats, clutch stats, late in games, he was really good, uh, connected on a high percentage of his passes. And there's obviously some things he can clear up, but some of those are mistakes you would expect a guy, even though he's been around the NFL for a while, he still has only started 20 something games in his career and, and now just coming off his first full season. And I think the biggest thing that if I was to point to folks about what Jimmy Garoppolo, the difference he makes in the 49ers offense and to the team entirely is in 2017, the 49ers were a complete gut job rebuild and they, they scrapped just about everything and came in with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and they couldn't win a game. They were the worst team in football. They could not win a single game. They trade for Jimmy Garoppolo in October. After a few weeks, he finally gets himself on the field and they go and win five straight games. That is absurd. Everybody was better. The defense was better when Jimmy Garoppolo showed up. And that was with him only, you know, a pared down version of the offense where he was only there for a couple of weeks. Then in 2018, all these expectations, because it's like, oh, hey, we got our quarterback. And they paid him a bunch of money. And then he tears his ACL in week three against the Kansas City Chiefs, no less. And then they go in the tank again, and they can't win a game. And then Nick Mullins comes in, proves he's a little bit better than C.J. Beathard. They win a couple of games, but they're still a bad football team. Then in 2019, people are like, I don't know what to expect from the 49ers now. Adam Rank famously pr predicted the 49ers were going to go 3-13 and in 2019, and they actually went 13-3 and instead. And you can just see the difference it makes when Jimmy Garoppolo is quarterbacking the same team with the same talent versus other replacement level quarterbacks. So I think that's really all you need to see with what kind of difference Jimmy Garoppolo makes when he's at quarterback for the 49ers. That's a good way to put it. I don't, I, as much as I've thought about this myself, I've never draw drew, you know, drew that conclusion that like, yeah, literally just look at the team when he's on the field and when he's not, it's, it's a team that was what uh, basically 10 and 32 or, or 10 and 22 over yeah. two years without him. And then, you know, he completely reinvigorates his football team and, you know, they're, you don't go 13 and three. You don't pass for 27 touchdowns and nearly 4,000 yards with 102 quarterback rating if you're not a good quarterback. So uh, that's that's a really good way to put it there. Yeah, um, I'm not a QB wins guy either. I want to put that out there, but it's a lot easier to look at the win loss category when it's literally on the same roster with the same players sure. and, and see how different the team plays when you just change out one guy. Brian, this division's fascinating to me, the NFC West. I mean, you've got the 49ers who are the, the reigning NFC champions. You've got Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, and Russ Wilson steps onto the field. You win 10 games that year just because he's the quarterback, <laughs> no matter what's going on around him. You know, Sean McVay's had a winning record with the Rams every single year that he's been there. And you got this Cardinals team that looks like they're kind of an upstart team, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, feel like this is a pretty stiff division here that uh while the 49ers are the champs until someone takes them down, it feels a bit more wide open. Where do you think San Francisco falls in this landscape? Yeah, and a lot of people are bashing the Rams right now, too. But it's like the Rams would have won the NFC East last year, even though yeah. they were third place in the NFC West. So they're still a good football team. Some questionable front office moves, I think, there with the yeah. Stars and Scrubs lineup. It looks more like my fantasy football lineup than what a true... Uh, uh, lineup should actually look like and, and where they're putting their resources with the Rams. And obviously I, I really liked the last couple of years of what the Arizona Cardinals are doing, but I think still, and the Cardinals might not be ready for prime time yet, although they're a difficult team to play and uh, how good and how quickly Kyler Murray is able to develop will be key there. But um, it's the Seahawks, man, and they'll have a garbage draft and it doesn't matter. And they're still good. And like you said, they still win 10 games. So as long as Pete, and Russell Wilson are there, they're going to be tough, and they're going to be that team, and they're the 49ers' nemesis, and they've had so many matchups going back to the Harbaugh years, and I, I expect it to be the same way in 2020. 
Man, that's I. We could talk for half an hour on the mismanagement of resources for the Seattle Seahawks, but <laughs> like it just doesn't matter. Russ just wins ten games; just part of the deal. You get him as your quarterback, you will not look foolish. Who are some of the breakout candidates on this 49ers team? I know there's a lot of familiar names, uh, a ton of Pro Bowlers last year. Uh, we got familiar with this team with the deep postseason run, but maybe there's a guy or two that uh, you expect to break out this year. I don't know if there's necessarily a breakout player because most of the roster is pretty established aside from, you know, the rookies like, say, Brandon Ayuk, although I think I've cautioned my 49ers, locked on 49ers listeners to pump the brakes a little bit on Brandon Ayuk because it's hard enough for a rookie wide receiver to jump in and play well in a rookie season. Now not having rookie minicamps at least and, you know, some of the offseason program. We'll see if there's a truncated version of training camp or what the season looks like. It's going to be that much more difficult for a player like Ayuk to jump in and beat out everybody to be the starting wide receiver early in his career. And it's even extra hard to be a wide receiver in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And, you know, not only the the verbiage, but just how particular Kyle Shanahan is with his wide receiver. Being a former wide receiver himself, he wants routes run a certain way. And if you don't show up and and play the exact way he wants you to, you're going to end up in his doghouse like we've seen with even a guy who's shown he could do it at the NFL level in Dante Pettis, who's sort of in limbo right now. So there's a lot of question marks with the 49ers wide receiver group. And, you know, whether it's Jalen Hurd or Trent Taylor or Dante Pettis or Richie James, Kendrick Bourne, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Travis Benjamin, they brought in on a one-year deal. Uh, That's going to be a fun competition in camp to watch to see who actually wins that starting wide receiver job opposite of Debo Samuel. And God forbid Debo Samuel get hurt or, or take a step back there. On the defensive side of the ball, I think there's maybe some secret superstars that people don't know about. Fred Taylor doesn't get enough credit, I think, league wide. Uh, there was a, a, a corner that jumped in for Akella Witherspoon last year, and I think everybody looking at the 49ers draft expected them to draft a cornerback in round one because they see the name Emmanuel Mosley, who was an undrafted free agent, and think, well, they're definitely going to try to upgrade that. But I think Emmanuel Mosley outplayed everybody and earned a starting job, and he's going to be that starting right cornerback in week one for the 49ers, and I don't have a problem with it at all. And another guy that doesn't get enough credit on the 49ers defense is strong safety, Jaquaski Tart. He's going into a contract year, and he's just been really good, and he's a very Kyle Duggar-like. That's the comp I've been giving Kyle Duggar for those Patriots fans who didn't like the pick. And uh, I like Kyle Duggar, and I like Jaquaski Tart. He doesn't get enough credit despite last year in a post-game press conference, Richard Sherman letting everybody know how important Jaquaski Tart was to the 49ers defense. That's my comp for Duggar as well. So we're on the same page there, Brian. (laughs) Last thing I got for you today is one of my favorite things about crossover episodes is kind of uh, getting uh, that, that other hosts viewpoint as to what's going on in Buffalo. So as you kind of, I know that you host the lockdown NFL podcast, so you have your, your finger on the pulse of the league. What's your just general impressions on what's going on in Buffalo these days? Yeah, we just did our AFC East breakdown on the Locked On NFL show, too, that I host with Matt Williamson. And I love what Buffalo's doing. And not only to turn their first rounder, and we we asked ourselves this question on the podcast, would you rather have veteran Stephon Diggs and pay him or rookie Justin Jefferson? And I'll take Stephon Diggs all day if you have the cap room. You don't have to worry about the bust factor at wide receiver and the hit rates are not good. And you get a guy who, you know, Jefferson at his peak, you could only hope that he could be as good as Stephon Diggs. So I love that move for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Picking up A.J. Epinesa in the second round, nobody would have batted an eye if he went at the end of round one even. Um, I like Zach Moss. 
not big on drafting running backs high, but you start getting to the third round and it starts to make a little bit more sense to me. And Isaiah Hodges, don't sleep on Isaiah Hodgins, one of the best uh, catch rates in college football last year. And he showed at the combine, he's got enough wiggle. He, he, he ran really well in his agility drills and, you know, four, six speed. He's not going to run by guys, but he's really good at the catch point. He can give you catches down the field because of his length and his ball skills. And I think he can get open underneath. And uh, I think Isaiah Hodgins has a really good chance to stick and be that possession type of wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. So I like the direction the Bills are going. Obviously, the Rorschach test looking at the Bills roster is Josh Allen. I absolutely hated Josh Allen coming out of the draft, but that dude's winning me over. And I think that says everything about him and about where the bills are going because, and it's a process, right? It takes a while and he may never be that, you know, three-step drop, hit the back foot, ball comes out, perfect timing guy, but there's a lot to like about Josh Allen and he's still getting better and better. And if he stays on that trajectory, uh, I think Buffalo bills are poised to maybe finally knock off those new England Patriots. But man, I, like, I don't know what it's like for you, Joe, hosting the Locked On Bills show. It's almost like you don't want to predict that the that the Patriots still aren't going to win the East, right? You don't want to, like, just tempt fate there because you know Bill Belichick's going to have his team ready to play. That's going to do it for us today here on the podcast. I'll be back again for you tomorrow to reflect on the Bills schedule that drops at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, p.m., on Thursday evening. So it'll be exciting to, to work through that, talk about this thing, look at the primetime games, see who the opener is, see where the uh, the home and away games are, how the bye week falls in, of course, looking at the thing in terms of quarter. So anxious to see it and anxious to talk about it for you on the Friday podcast. So make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I'll be back again for you tomorrow.